Hello, everybody. It's my pleasure today to be chatting with a very old friend of the family, Wolfram Sengerweiss, who is the CEO of Gebrüderweiss. Hello, Wolfram. And um, I know, but I, I want to convey this very quickly to our audience, that your company, and I'll like your feedback on this, has been running and in operation since 1474, which is um, a very long time and puts long-termism into perspective. And uh, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. And I think my opening question is, we've all gone through COVID 2020, the year of the COVID virus. And of course that may not be finished yet, but I'd like to start at the global big picture. And in your business and your clients' businesses, how was 2020? What dynamics did you see? And then we'll move into more of our intimate CE, Russia, CIS, Silk Road territory. But uh, how was the world for, for business in 2020? Hi, Danny. I'm happy to be uh, with you on this talk. Um, as you mentioned correctly, our company has a long history already. So it's not the first uh, major crisis we are facing. <laughs> And uh, we also manage this one very well. Um, if I look uh, at the market, how, how we see it, I mean, we are uh, located in Central and, and Eastern Europe with our uh, main operations, but we also have overseas operations in China and US. And uh, we have uh, seen the first lockdown in China right after Chinese New Year, when they didn't come out of the Chinese New Year break. Um, and this is actually what started the mess up in the global supply chain already right there. Uh, you remember all the stories that the ships uh, were in the harbor and didn't, didn't leave the, the, the China in time. And then they didn't arrive in Europe in time. We, we started with a shortage in container and so on. So the whole uh, global supply chain is uh, a little in an imbalance ever since. And uh, we still see today, uh, for example, if you look at Los Angeles, you know, there's still ships waiting out there uh, to be unloaded much longer than they, than they should be. But uh, on the other hand, I think what is extremely important is the global supply chain and logistic chains. They work through all times. Um, so uh, we could um, supply our customers at every level from any country, uh, regionally, locally, and globally, um, more or less at any time. Some lead times were probably a little longer than usual. And then uh, market dynamics kicked in, and we can talk a little about uh, what happened then and probably also the, the prices. And, and uh, because, uh, you know, when supply is short or is, is shorter than demand, then uh, prices go up. And this is exactly what, what has happened. And, uh, but in, in essence, uh, we were actually surprised to see that uh, the industry and our customers were actually not that uh, severely hit by the crisis than we had expected. Um, and uh, we also believe that, you know, also globally, I, I expected much more of, of a dip there, but the development, especially in China, helped our industry here in Central Europe. And, uh, and we had kind of a, of a okay development with some up and downs in between. And on the other hand, we had a very strong um, requests on the on e-commerce the e and, uh, and home delivery side. So, I mean, all this has shifted. So 
a lot of uh, economic uh, changes we have seen before have been accelerated. No, I agree with you, Wolfram. The, uh, I was just looking at some reports uh, recently in the last couple of days, how Central Europe and even Russia are coming back quicker than even we expected just a few months ago. People were very gloomy a year ago and uh, the expectations have improved. By the way, just one little footnote on your own company and its history. You know, I, I, I'm, I see myself as a bit of a historian and going back with your five, 500 years plus, uh, in 1618 to 1648, your company went through the Thirty Years' War, and um, I imagine that was quite uh, quite a turmoil compared with what we're doing today. So, really, quite something. And congratulations. Um, I want to divert away from our script a little bit because you've touched on it already, and we can. I think we should address it now. I'm talking with so many people, Wolfram, and um, you know, you've touched it. Commodity prices, supply and demand, um, you know, the global economy and Europe seems to be picking up better, certainly Central Europe and Russia. So the demand there and the supply is, is lagging. It's one of many factors. And the price inflation, if I'm talking, I'm sure your clients are reflecting it as well. The, the price inflation of their inputs and producer prices, you're at the hard end of this. My clients are saying to me, Danny, when does it stop? Now, I know that's not an answerable question, but if you could pontificate a little bit, do you seeing it getting worse before it gets better, stabilizing or getting better soon? What dynamics do you see? You know, there are different fields. Um, probably let's look at the sea freight situation, mm -hmm. um, which is probably the, the most obvious and where we see the, the highest price increases. And uh, we had, so to speak, uh, looking back six months, we had all kind of hoped that uh, with Chinese New Year this year, it would normalize a little. Um, but then we already saw that the strong development in the economy, um, you know, kept the demand up. And uh, so there was no, no dip and no, no uh, period of recovery through uh, Chinese New Year. And then we also had what, what happened in, in the Suez Channel. Um, you know, blocking um, with the ship, uh, the whole uh, chain there. And um, so it, it didn't help uh, solve the, the problem either. Uh, so what we see today is that all 2021 is going to be more or less the same and probably also most of 2022. Um, and then there are some orders of new ship coming in and this should help to release the situation a bit. Uh, but, um, you know, now uh, some of the ships have to go into, into their period of, um, of repair and, and have to be taken out of service just scheduled, uh, which was postponed through the last couple of months because there was uh, no time and that high demand. That, but we reach a point where they can't push it any further. So mm -hmm. actually a uh, little supply will be taken out of the, the market even. And, uh, and with now everybody talking about um, the economy even getting stronger, I, you know, I, I wonder what effect this is gonna, gonna have on, on these yeah. uh, logistics chains. Uh, if I look on, on the air freight side, um, it's a little different. Most of the air freight was um, carried in the, in, in the as belly freight in, in, in passenger planes. 
I mean, uh, this whole market is still uh, down by more than 50% on the, mm -hmm. on, on the long haul. And, um, you know, as soon as this is going to come back, we're going to see a little recovery on, on, on that end. Um, and uh, this is probably going to normalize a little earlier. But on the other hand, you know, when you have uh, um, bottlenecks on the sea freight side, uh, this is going to increase pressure on, on deliveries. So more is probably going to be shifted to air freight, which is then <laughs> going to increase the demand again. So, you know, the whole thing might stay on a quite high level for, for quite a while. And if you look, for example, into Europe now on the trucking side, uh, you know, we also start getting into um, a shortage with, with drivers and trucks and all these things, which we have seen prior to the to the to this yes. crisis, and uh, which we didn't feel now for quite a while because you know um, markets have been slower, uh, but the the problems from before are kicking in again. Interesting, thanks, and uh, yeah, uh, supply and demand of labor is another factor as well. Um, I think I agree with you entirely. I think 2021 with the demand and the probably a, a booming economy and uh, the recovery in the summer, uh, I'm trying to tell clients uh, maybe hopefully that after that, you know, Q4, it might stabilize or get better. But I heard what you just said and don't do not disagree with it because, you know, you could see some dynamics for that as well. So it's certainly something, uh, you know, companies need to factor in and they are doing. But just to tell you and share with you, you know, it really is um, a top point with a majority of companies as, as well. But thanks for that. And uh, one thing for the audience, uh, Wolfram, I know your sect as well. What proportion of the business you talk about, sea freight, air freight, freight and trucking and so on, what proportions of your business are in those sectors kind of thing? We do about uh, two thirds in, in overland and logistic in Central and Eastern Europe. And we do about uh, 15 to 20% in overseas business, which is air freight and sea freight then with our also overseas operations. And then we also have a local parcel service in Austria, mm -hmm. which is uh, covering the rest. Great, thank you. Very much your history and your good experiences on Central Europe, uh, Russia, CIS in a broad sense. You talked about the global trends that are going on there. Um, let's go into more detail about our region. What's, uh, what do you see in 2020, 2021? You know from me, I'll preface it and say a lot of our mutual clients, you know, like you said, it wasn't too bad. I'm not whitewashing it. It's been tough, of course. But Central Europe and even Russia and parts of CIS, uh, I'm getting a lot of good corporate stories as well. Um, how has it been for your company and your clients? I mean, if you look at the countries, how they um, came along with the, with the, with the uh, corona situation, uh, I'd say many of the countries in Eastern Europe actually um, did quite well and uh, went through a less severe lockdown than some countries in, in, in Western Europe. Um, and so things there, most of the countries, some, some exceptions, but uh, were a little probably more stable or probably they didn't take it that uh, serious uh, with all consequences. Um, so uh, business was, uh, was okay, I would say. Uh, for us, with the exception of Russia, uh, 
uh, we believe that the, the severe lockdowns in Russia and, 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 and really sending everybody uh, home and, and this really had a strong influence on business. Um, and uh, so we were not too too happy with the, with the uh, development in, in Russia or I'd say in, in Central Asia, uh, which was uh, more severe hit than as we saw it than in the in Eastern Europe. Um, so, um, but if you look at the bigger picture, I mean, we talk about nearshoring um, and uh, you know, how, is, how the big supply chain is gonna change. And uh, my point of view on that is uh, not much. Uh, we also didn't see much of that now um, during this period at least. Um, but um, whatever is gonna be moved closer is gonna end up in Eastern Europe. So I, I'd say, there will be rather a, a positive um, market development for, for, for these countries um, for, for production location and so on, uh, rather than having a negative influence um, with this nearshoring uh, approaches. Uh, but on the other hand, I mean, the, the market that was really booming um, was, was China. And, um, you know, when, when China and, 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 and Southeast Asia is, is strong, uh, why in hell would you move production to Europe, you know, uh, if a lot of your markets are, are going to remain there. So um, we don't see any of this development and, 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 and a lot of profits are also made over there. So um, we believe uh, that there is not that much uh, nearshoring going to happen as uh, probably the politicians, some politicians would like to see it. Uh, but on the other hand, what we see is that uh, there is this, this move to more e-commerce. And uh, so um, to, to, um, you know, to deal with your customers directly, you have to uh, look into shorter lead times. And uh, so you know, there is more requests for, for regional warehousing and, and, and having um, the, the products closer to the end customers. So this is kind of moving uh, the supply chain uh, a little closer um, to to our, our region again. Super, thanks. Uh, I'm going to come back with several things. You, I just want to echo what you said, Wolfram, about the, the nearshoring trend. I agree 100%. Uh, and again, a year ago, the view was everybody's going to leave China next week. Uh, and that didn't happen. It became very clear quickly for the reasons you said the costs, the dynamics in Asia, but the infrastructure that's been put in, the investment our clients have put in. Uh, just to share with you, I was speaking with um, a big consumer products company, the regional manager in Vienna. And a few months ago, we were chatting about this and I raised the topic with him and his response was to burst out laughing. And um, he said, Danny, it's not going to happen. You know, that he was a bit cynical, maybe, but we, we know what he's trying to say. Um, I want to come back to the uh, Silk Road and China dynamic more later, uh, definitely, because I know that's something Brudevice has looked at closely. But um, still want to go in a little bit deeper. We've touched, started to touch on Central Europe and Russia. Um, what are the, and I can sense what the answers are already, but can you elaborate more? What have your customers been asking of you that's been the same as usual and what has been a little bit different? So has there been any new challenges or um, business as usual? You know, I'd say uh, if you look from a little further away, 
I'd almost say business as usual. Um, and uh, the big trends kind of continue. I mean, what was not business as usual, of course, is that, you know, um, people had to work remotely and, 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 and you know, the, the whole um, way to communicate and to meet and to talk about problems and to implement new processes and so on um, was a little more difficult than, uh, than, than usual. And uh, this also led to, to one thing which, which surprised us a little, uh, I have to admit, we thought that a lot more changes would happen through these COVID times. But actually, uh, everybody was kind of uh, cautious about, you know, what's going to happen and, and rather don't change a running system. So a lot more continued in a way it was before, uh, rather than uh, big changes were happening or were implemented. So probably also because of this, uh, you know, there were no bigger changes in, in, in the supply chain. I mean, it was difficult to visit new suppliers, you know, you know how, how do you do all these things if you can't travel, if you sit in your home office and so on. But uh, there was a, a move into uh, even more digitalization, you know, more transparency, yeah. more information need and all these things. But all these are trends that have been there before. Correct, yeah. That were kind of um, speeded up a bit. I agree with you 100%, honestly. Um, we've seen the acceleration of existing trends. Uh, by the way, when you said, uh, you know, when you started to answer the question, Wolfram, you said uh, almost apologetically, we've not seen that many differences. Uh, no need to apologize, and because uh, I'm with you. And I think the big dynamic, of course, is the work from home. And the other one you alluded to is the digitalization. Um, many of the people we work with, our joint clients, you know, they're saying that digitalization is okay for existing relationships, but it is a challenge for new relationships and, you know, explaining innovation uh, and so forth. I'd like to move, you know, you talked about Russia there a little bit and, um, you know, Russia CIS. I, I know you've got a great uh, foundation in Central Europe uh, and you explained a little bit about Russia, but uh, how has Russia been, you know, the last few years? Could you elaborate more on recent changes and what you think for the future? How important is it for Kabruda Vice moving forward? You know, as you probably know, Danny, we are not that of a strong player in Russia. So uh, we have a very strong presence in, in Central and Eastern, Southeastern Europe. Uh, and then we, we moved also to an to a interesting area, which is the Caucasus area, uh, which is kind of off the beaten uh, pass a little. Um, but we, well, we see an interesting development and also market opportunities. Uh, but if we look into Russia, we, we have always been a little cautious. D despite being uh, listening to you talking about Russia for many years, that positively, uh, it's a, a very big country and there are big logistic uh, challenges. Yeah. Um, so we, we rather uh, have solutions for, for Russia uh, with partners than with our own assets. Other than uh, we do understand and in Central Asia, and in the Caucasus area and in, in Southeastern Europe and so on. So I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't know that much about Russia, but no, no. the developments I see there uh, are going in, 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 in two directions. You know, one, I, I said uh, Russia was more severely hit by, uh, by the crisis. I think they didn't deal so well with it. Um, 
But two, you know, we we always forget about this. I mean, now with this meeting um, finally between <laughs> U.S. and Russia uh, today or yesterday, um, uh, you know, the, we start thinking about these old uh, topics and conflicts again more. But um, you know, we still have a sanction situation with uh, with Russia, and and this is still kind of a, a problematic uh, setup for for many of the uh, exchanges. And uh, what we see is more concentration within the Eurasian Custom Union, and yes. and this also you know kind of further developed now through the last couple of months. So there yes. is more business between these countries rather. Than, um, than international business. With always the same exception, you know, business between the US and Russia is booming. Uh, I always, I'm always surprised to see these numbers mm -hmm. uh, because the politicians talk a different language. Um, but um, this, is, this is quite strong, but between Europe and, and, and Russia is quite, uh, it's not that well developing. And mm -hmm. we also see some companies actually moving out of Russia or thinking about you know how to how to deal with this market, um, and um, so this is this is kind of uh, of the view I have. Uh, in addition, there is one specific to our industry with with Russia, which is the Silk Road connection, the train connection between China and and Europe. Of course, uh, and uh, and there uh, something interesting happened. I mean, one uh, the connection was. Uh, Better uh, established, or is now um, established really as the third way or mode of transport between between Asia and Europe and back. Um, even though the percentage is still small, we talk about you know single digit percentage, um, but it's well established now, and the prices also fluctuate uh, with the air freight and the sea freight. This shows this is kind of a part of the same of the same market. But what the Russians do very clever is they have allowed to put uh, to 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 have longer trains going through Russia um, rather than in the transit. So uh, the Russian companies can put additional wagons and containers uh, for national distribution, which more or less goes for free because the train is paid by the international customer. Uh, and uh, so this is kind of um, little changing. Uh, possibilities of distribution within the long distance in, in Russia. Right. By the way, thanks. That it was exactly what I, I wanted your analysis of Russia. And I think, you know, from your perspective, it's very clear and uh, very, very helpful. Um, I'd like to take us to a little bit more on the Silk Road, which is a, a key element, because I know that. You know, we talked before about supply chains changing and nearshoring, which didn't happen. We've got the Silk Road, and you've said it's small percentage, but certainly growing. Uh, the Silk Road as well has had a lot of uh, political analysis and uh, commentary in the media as well. Um, probably critical or semi-critical, you know, uh, maybe even a little bit of schadenfreude. Haha, you know, the Chinese wanted to do this and they've got problems. Um, how do you see that? And, uh, you know, just in general terms, but also from your own company? Has it met your expectations and what do you see for the next five years? First, you know, I have to say thank you to the Chinese for developing infrastructure within Central Asia. 
And uh, now I hope that a lot of Western companies see opportunities there and, yeah. and use it and use these markets because I think they are interesting markets. There's, uh, you know, they're quite well developed. They are quite close to our region, I'd say, also mm -hmm. mentally. And, uh, and, and, and I think they have created uh, additional opportunities. Uh, what I think is a pity that there is no real European answer to it. And um, yeah. we have difficulties politically to deal with uh, developing uh, this region. Um, for us, I mean, we have, we have tried to give logistic solution uh, to, this, to this area because I, I always try to differentiate um, the, the transit thing. So the Silk Road, the Iron Silk Road, you know, the yeah. trains going east and west. Um, which you know is a good additional opportunity for, for, for some some goods where it fits, um, but um, there is also this this regional market, and uh, for us we have found uh, two locations that are important to cover the the region, which would be in addition to Russia because Russia is per se just one one big market uh, you have to cover, and there's a lot of focus on on Russia. But there is also, you know, what, what in, in former days was called the Stan countries or the Central Asian. I haven't heard Stan in a while, actually. <laughs> Probably still used, but uh, yeah, it's they, okay. they haven't changed their name. I mean, some names are changing in there, but uh, they haven't changed their names. So the, the countries still end in Stan. And, uh, and there is like Uzbekistan, uh, which is really showing a very strong developing development and I, I believe that there are some strong markets developing in the region and I, I believe that with a, a logistics hub in, in I'd say in Almaty somewhere in, in, in Kazakhstan you can well cover this Central Asian markets um, and then you need an additional one for the Caucasus area which is kind of a separate market it's not that big mm. but uh, it's an interesting hub and we also see that the, the southern Silk Road kind of goes through this area now um, and uh, also to cover these, these more southern star countries, it's an interesting um, connection. So um, these are for us the two directions we are, we're heading in addition to, to Russia, of course, mm -hmm. but this, this region. It's great you bring up, I was going to do it, Uzbekistan, um, you know, in recent weeks talking with people, um, if you talk about Russia, then the next one usually is Kazakhstan, but then the next one is now Uzbekistan, and um, you touched upon it there, Wolfram, but a little bit more, please. Um, you know, it had a lot of um, public relations at two years ago, you know, this is, Uzbekistan is the future, there's always the danger it will always be the future but that's not the cynical approach I take. I'm getting a lot of good, positive feedback, you know, realistic, not exuberant expectations. From what you're hearing from your clients and your own experience, um, a little bit more on Uzbekistan, is it, is it good meeting expectations or disappointing? You know, uh, if you look back uh, some years, um, Uzbekistan is a bigger market than Kazakhstan. Um, but it was politically so big. They has they have more more people uh, there, um, yeah. and uh, and in, in in former Russian times it was actually a bigger market. Uh, but then Kazakhstan developed better. I mean, with all the the energy, the the oil and, and, and gas there, um, and uh, Uzbekistan was politically extremely locked locked up for many many years, and uh, and now they they are opening. And uh, I mean, 
what I hear is is mainly positive stories. So I I, I see that whoever goes there uh, has actually a positive uh, reply. It is a, a good people to work with, uh, and uh, and actually also the government is. Uh, actually giving positive signals and it's yes. not just a, a bubble or something it's um, and, and and it's also not so dependent on on energy which is rather rare in this in this region so it's it's something you can more stable build on I absolutely more diversified for sure um absolutely no that fits in wolfram with what i'm hearing and uh, fingers crossed because uh, if it does continue and gets better, linked in with the Eurasian Economic Union, then you know there's, the plus sides uh, are obvious. You brought in and uh, you know the Caucasus region. I have to confess, generally in our events, as you know, um, it doesn't get perhaps enough attention, uh, and that you sort of implied it was small, but of course we we both know if you cluster it which I think most people do, then you get certain uh, synergies. But uh, I've got a feeling, Wolfram, you know more than uh, about the region than many of our group members and mutual clients. So could you elaborate a little bit more on the Caucasus, which is, you know, where do you prefer to be? Uh, are they all the same? Um, what's the differences? What should we know about them? You know, what didn't help is there was a war between uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan, uh, just recently, <laughs> uh, and uh, so they don't like each other too much, um, even though everybody is seeing it as one region. And there is this, I want to say, neutral country, uh, Georgia, uh, in the middle. And I think the business environment in, in, in Georgia is very good. And um, when, you, when you think of moving there, you should really consider Georgia as a, as a hub, even though Azerbaijan is by far the biggest market and there is oil and there is there's the oil money and so on but uh, logistically you can very well cover azerbaijan from a from a tbilisi hub so um it, it's not that big in in, in in total and uh and it's interesting what is what is happening you know um because this uh, this southern silk road for uh, to enter into central asia is is becoming more and more interesting so uh, even though if Caucasus is, is not such a big market, I mean, you, you could use it as a hub to, to uh, also cover some of the more Central Asian countries and infrastructure um, is, is getting better also in, in, in transit to Turkmenistan and, and, and even up to Kazakhstan. So it, it, it is developing uh, well in this right direction. And um, I mean, Georgia had some political turmoil lately, but it's actually, extremely stable in the end uh, you know it's a small country all countries are always a little problematic when because everybody knows everyone and um if, like in the family you know if somebody gets kicked out it's... i hope you're not talking about austria i, I hope uh, i could avoid this but do so do so please avoid it good but uh, no I, I think we have invested about almost 10 years ago in, 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 in Georgia, and uh, it has been a very positive development there. And I'm actually surprised that not more has happened in this direction, but the whole region is almost very much dominated by Russia. And whoever uh, puts you know, Georgia under Russian uh, responsibility, not much development is gonna happen there. 
uh, because they don't like each other too much. I mean, they, they, they like their wine and their water in Russia, but uh, uh, there is some political um, problems there, which is not quiet at the moment, but, uh, but I believe, uh, which is one of the reasons why there is probably not that much of a development. But uh, I don't want to elaborate so much about it, but I, no, no. I think it's an interesting market. Um, also, you know, the, the whole region, there's, you know, there's Turkey and these countries around. And uh, let's see what, what development there is going to be. Absolutely. No, it was very interesting, uh, Wolfram, you said you invested 10 years ago, point number one. And point number two, it was a very good point. You're surprised that others have not done so much there. And uh, I, I can hear what you're saying very clearly. Thanks for that. No, very uh, helpful. I want to go back to, as we get towards the end, I want to go back to where uh, you touched upon digital and e-commerce. And of course, it's very buzzwords. It's uh, very key and critical to our clients. On the retail and consumer side, it's a no-brainer and the dynamics are going on there. Um, how has it changed? You know, we, we agreed, you know, not so much change apart from maybe home office, but obviously some other things as well. And we're seeing a, I agree that digitalization e-commerce is a continuation or an acceleration of an existing trend, which what we said. But could you elaborate a bit more on um, what's been happening on digital e-commerce with your customers and with your own company, how you've adapted? And again, has that been very disruptive or a little disruptive? I mean, for us, not at all disruptive. Um, I mean, this segment was extremely booming and uh, I have to say in our parcel service um, we actually hit our 10-year target um, last year um, which really um, got us into problems with capacity and infrastructure and all these things because you know this is not a dynamic uh, thing you can you can increase um, what 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 I you know there's very often the question is it going to go back you know is it was it now because the shops were closed, um, is it going to go back and we're going to see more through retail channels uh, again? I think for some companies, uh, it's also a positive trend because they can better they can better control, you know, how the how how the how the goods get to the customers. They can directly market it to it to them. They can cut out in the in, in, in the chain um, and. Uh, we don't see, even though now um, in most of the countries, you know, shops are opening again, we don't see that much of a drop. So we believe the level is rather going to stay. Um, and especially if you look at the bigger units, this is something we have been focusing on. Uh, you know, uh, in the lockdown, a lot of uh, families bought new, you know, sofas and kitchens and, yeah. and TVs and, and all this stuff. And uh, nobody could go to the shop. But then they also realize, you know, it's actually what always was a big hassle to, you know, <laughs> rent a truck from a neighbor and something and find somebody to help you carry. And then have your, your wife uh, watching you how, while you try to screw it together. Always a big disaster. Um, so, you know, a lot of this has become more professional. And uh, I also believe uh, a lot of this is going gonna, is gonna to stay. Um, I want to add one other thing to digitalization because um, in our industry, there is this big discussion about digital freight forwarders. Right. So, you know, do you need still need infrastructure or can we just all do it online and, uh, and, and, and just have a, a digital solution to it? 
And actually, uh, we saw that uh, these digital forwarders came to, to limits uh, because especially when infrastructure and, and, and capacity is cost, then um, mm -hmm. there is there's a problem, you know, when you're just digital, um, you need to control your supply and you need to control the, the capacity and so on. So it also showed that, you know, there are limits to digital, you know, in the end, uh, goods have to be moved physical. And uh, this cannot be digitalized. I mean, at least not, not today until we, we have the beaming or something. Um, but uh, so, you know, there's also, it, it felt much better if you have somebody you can call if something is not working and who has some expertise and uh, who controls some uh, capacity rather than having a system that says error, you know, please wait. <laughs> Thank you, Wilfram. That takes me, I think, very nicely, you know, just time-wise, we wanted to keep it to about 40 minutes or so uh, for the wear and tear of our listeners. That's our model for these. And uh, it's been fascinating, but I, I can't resist. It was going to be my question anyway at the end, that, you know, the long-term future, and uh, you talked about beaming. I think it would be very unfair if I said, where, where do you think your company will be in the next 550 years? So I think I'll be a little bit unfair and say, you know, where, where do you think things will be in five years? Or, you know, pick your own parameters, Wolfram. Um, we've had this change or no change, but certainly we've had COVID, which has, uh, you know, hit the news and uh, done what it's done. So the region 2025 CE and CIS, or 20, even as far out as 2030, midterm, um, What's your own company planning? I think that would be the way to answer it. Thanks for the five-year perspective. And because, you know, um, 2050 is now in, in everybody's uh, mouth with the Green Deal. And this is actually what is having the biggest influence on our, on our industry. And that's right. not only in our industry, but on, on all the industry and the production, at least in our area, or in, 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 in Europe. Um, and uh, let's also hope um, in the rest of the world that the others would, would also follow up with it. So these are going to be the biggest changes, I'd say, to, to our industry. Um, but um, it's only going to be kind of a, a shift in the mode of transport. So, you know, actually, in the end, if we have a diesel truck or a battery truck, you know, or hydrogen truck or whatever, you know, um, not that much of a difference, probably uh, Cost-wise, there could be a change to it, so it, we're now in a transition period. Um, and uh, the, 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 I'd say in the next five years, not very much is going to change, you know. But um, also, I think you know we had a global crisis now, and 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 um, we needed global answers to it. And I believe the world is going to remain global. I don't think that everybody is going to be happy being reduced uh, on on the region or on their home, they now found out what it means to be, you know, locked up. So everybody wants to go out again. And, um, and, and, and actually, I think it's, it, it's gonna, it's gonna rather gonna stay open, gonna go in this direction. For our company, I, I think it's, I think we're in the right region. I think we can develop well. I already elaborated that the, if there is nearshoring, it's rather kind of get into this region than, than somewhere else. Um, but I also think that the global connection um, you know, with world trade, um, 
going to remain on that level. I don't see any real reason why there should be uh, strong drops. I mean, we, we have uh, talked about uh, um, products uh, where prices are, are rocketing at the moment. Um, and, uh, you know, for example, forestry products, you know, there is some yes. problem in Canada. So, you know, they're buying all the, all the wood that there is in the world. Uh, so, you know, I don't think this is really going to change. And I don't hope for all of us it really is going to change. Uh, we're going to find probably more efficient, better ways to connect um, the countries, the companies. But there will always be uh, a need for a freight forward in the end. This is what I see, at least for the next uh, 5 to, to 15, 20 years. Uh, if we look into 550 years, well. <laughs> you can leave that to the grandchildren. Yeah, good, good. Wolfram, I'd just like to summarize a couple of points that you made at the end. Absolutely, the Green Deal. Um, ESG, Environment Social Governance, um, this is another thing that's coming up a lot now with the people I talk with. I've noticed it in the last few months and it's accelerating. You know, I speak with a lot of people every day and it's coming up, it used to be zero, and now, um, you know, I've had conversations today uh, and it, it's popping up. I would endorse what you said about the right region. Um, I think Central Europe and Russia CIS as a region, comparatively with Latin America, Africa, Middle East, and good parts of Asia is a, a good business region to be in. And that's rammed home to me every day. I think you've been implying also, you know, I think we both agree China is not going away, far from it, and it will be a big uh, engine of activity um, in and out and so forth, and those shifts will be there. So I think that's a, a, a big driver. And then you also said in the closing, and, and I do agree, I'm not being polite, you know, you sort of said again, you know, no major changes. We both know changes are going on, they're accelerating existing one. So I, I really do know what you mean by that. It's not sort of a naive uh, nonchalance about it. Um, but I, I understand, you know, I did a global report on the future of the world. And I think I had three slides on changes and 15 slides explaining the no changes. So, you know, uh, life goes on. Companies will have budgets, uh, capital and finance will be generated as they are, and so on. But it's been uh, very enjoyable to listen to your remarks strategically, big picture, and uh, what your company is also doing operationally. I enjoyed it very much. Um, I would say to our audience that we've had the pleasure of listening to you live on many occasions in Vienna, and we look forward to sharing this uh, with many, many people and look forward to the next 500 years. All the best. Thank you very much, Danny. I enjoyed it also very much, even though I'd prefer to see you live. And <laughs> look forward to that soon. Thank you. Thank you.